readings this morning are from the New Testament. The first is from the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 8, 33 to 35, and then in chapter 14. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, and they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus only. Now down to verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And now down to chapter 14. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. Peter, below in the court, courtyard, uh, was, was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And Peter went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. Our second New Testament reading is from the book of Galatians, chapters, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then chapter 6. Paul an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In a moment, as we get to turn back to those incredible sermon scriptures, yes, I do want to bring you greetings from the northern end of Route 13 in a multi-ethnic area known as Wilmington Manor. You heard Pastor Kenny say Manor. Um, that's where your financial support for many years has helped us help Manor revitalize um, Presbyterian brought me in saying they're down to like seven or eight members, the aging congregation. Um, it's really dead wood in many ways. 
but as Pam and I were praying about it, we thought, what makes the best fire? Dead wood. And uh, Ezekiel in the Old Testament might say, can these bones, these dead bones live? So your prayers, your support has, has helped uh, bring into being really a replant, a church replant, gospel church for all nations. And like you, we also believe the gospel can transform our hearts. The gospel can heal our relationships, amen? The gospel can enrich our world, our broken world. So actually, Pastor Kenny will be the plenary speaker at our Gospel Can Retreat next month, uh, a retreat serving as a spirit-led advance into autumn. And, uh, and yet, before that, beginning tomorrow night for five consecutive evenings, uh, we know you already had your VBS this summer, and we were praying for that. But uh, we begin ours tomorrow night. And, and just as we've been worshiping God in three languages today, the, the children will be worshiping the Lord every night in uh, Chinese and in Spanish and in English. So please be in prayer for that. Uh, and also, I will let you know when Newcastle County lets us uh, have a certificate of occupancy because we've been building a facility. Uh, we've outgrown the little building which uh, the church had already owned, but the property next door they owned was uh, now built upon over the past two years now. The supply chain and everything else has really dragged it out, but we hope we can move in by uh, September 10th, which is when we will host Presbytery. So you elders may be seeing that. If you don't, maybe we'll invite you up once we have a date for the building dedication. So we'll see. So praise the Lord. I'm reading again the last uh, verse, Galatians 6.14, from the ESV, Far be it from me to boast or to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight and applicable to our lives in this new week, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Has anyone here ever been to the Grand Canyon? I have not, but many of you have. Okay, I see. Um, why do people travel to see the Grand Canyon? Is it to see the glory of man? No, it's to see the majestic glory of God, whether they acknowledge God or not. Why are people fascinated by the images coming from space now sent by the, the new web telescope? Is it to see how big man is? I hope not. Rather, isn't it to see that the, the galaxies are telling the glory of God? If you younger people, you know, people may not admit this, you may not admit it, but um, aberration for super, superheroes in summer blockbuster movies and whatnot, it's, it's really a, a longing to, to see or to meet a glorious Messiah who can save us from a broken world. And, and yet really down deep that means it's, it's a longing to see Jesus Christ, to glory in Jesus Christ. So that's why we go down to the narrative portion of today's scriptures. 
So go back to uh, Mark chapter 9, the Mount of Transfiguration. And so I asked the question, why does Jesus take his three leading disciples, Peter, James, and John, up this mountain? In this case, it's to see the great glory of God in the body of Christ himself, superior to glory the glory of his creation, superior to even the glory of the Grand Canyon. I have a quote on the screen from uh, Dr. John Piper uh, that puts this in perspective. Uh, the really wonderful moments of joy in this world are not the moments of self-satisfaction, but self-forgetfulness. Standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon but then contemplating your own greatness is pathological. <laughs> At such moments, we are made for a magnificent joy that comes from outside ourselves. In each of these rare and precious moments in life, beside the canyon, before the Swiss Alps, under the stars, and in his presence through his word as we are now, these reflect a far greater excellence, namely the glory of God. Now, these disciples had to slow down and to cease busyness from the crowds recorded at the end of Mark 8, verse 34. The Lord also reiterates that they must cease glorying in themselves because those crowds were following Jesus and his disciples like they were a rock band, performing miracles everywhere they went. So in our time remaining, let's look more closely, first in verses 2 through 8 of chapter 9, and to see how this relates to us in the 21st century. We must, first of all, stop our busyness to see what I call the fiery glory of Christ. You see in verse 2 at the end where it says he was transfigured before them, his clothes becoming dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Speaking of his, reflecting really his purity, his sinlessness. And there appeared before them Elijah and, Mo and Moses also who were talking with Jesus. Do you want to see the fiery glory of Christ? Moses did. Elijah did. The law and the prophets, really. You can see his glory today. You don't have to go to the Grand Canyon. You don't need a web telescope. What are Moses and Elijah doing on the mountain alone with Christ? They're talking with him. Isn't that called prayer, <laughs> talking with the Lord. Psalm 27 says, seek the Lord's glorious face. Psalm 46.10 says, be still, cease striving, and know that I am God. He is showing them that he is God, not just through his actions, but through his purity. Luke 9 records what they are talking about uh, in verse 31, uh, using a phrase 
the exodus of Jesus. It's, it's, we'll get into it in a few moments, but it's, it's showing us that the glory of Christ is found in his victorious crucifixion and resurrection that's going to take place in a few months down up in Jerusalem. But in their earthly lives, Moses and Elijah both longed to, to gaze at the glory of the Lord, as recorded in Exodus 33 and 1 Kings 19. Exodus 33, 18 to 20, Moses says, talking to the Lord, Now show me your glory! And the Lord replies, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he also said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Whoa, what's happening now on the Mount of Transfiguration, centuries later? Here is Moses experiencing that with Elijah, who was born after him. And in Elijah's earthly life, 1 Kings 19, 13, we read that when he heard of God's presence being there, he pulled his cloak over his face. And he went out, and he stood at the mouth of the cave to commune with God. Now he is. Will you also cease striving, stopping your busyness, and crying out to the Lord, show me your glory? Even just a glimpse of your glory, my life is so broken, I need to see a glimpse of your glory. My life is such a mess. And we could do it outdoors, like is happening here, on the Mount of Transfiguration, but it can be done indoors because you're not just finding the glory of God in the Word incarnate, Jesus Christ, but in the Word inscripturated, the Bible, which you can read indoors or outdoors. Seeing his glory in nature is a good start, but his glory is explained by his Word. Let's not wait until we are on our deathbed do it now when life can slow down a little bit for you, especially in summer, right? Get along with this glorious Christ. Open up his love letter, the Bible, to you so he can speak to you as he's speaking here to Moses and Elijah. Reverend Martin Luther King was 39 years old not knowing he was going to be killed the next afternoon, when he ended his last speech, the one he gave in Memphis, which I think that's where we're having presbytery next year, isn't it, Memphis? I'm not presbytery, General Assembly, the 50th General Assembly. He quoted the hymn, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Longing for Jesus' second coming, when in essence he will be in the appearance of what Moses and Elijah are seeing now, and Peter, James, and John. And they're just terrified, as the text says, meeting him face to face. 
So point one, will you be still and get alone with him? Stop your busyness and see the fiery glory of Christ. And summertime may be the best time to stop your busyness. Secondly, stop glorying or boasting in yourself, which beats up the body of Christ. Listen to him. So Mark 9, 7, the, the, the cloud appears. I'm going to read this from the ESV. The cloud appears at that moment. And what happens? Well, what we see is it overshadows them, and a voice comes out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And, you know, they, they do for a few moments, just like you and I, we have our quiet time, and then we go off to our job, or if you're a student, off to class, and, and then you're thinking, not God's thoughts. After a while, you're thinking your thoughts instead. And this is what's happening. By verse 33, when they were in Capernaum, and he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Can you imagine after the benediction today, you're out uh, conversing with people and some are in a cluster and, you know, in that cluster, they're all arguing about who's, who's the greatest. You wouldn't even see that among non-Christians, would you? I don't know. Uh, it's amazing to see this in the same chapter, Mark 9. Sitting down, Jesus calls the 12 and says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. In other words... Cease glorying in yourself. Stop glorying in yourself. Listen to him, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you don't boast in him, but in yourself, it's like beating up the body of Christ. These fellow disciples are beating up each other by dwelling on such thoughts. And Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and we see, for many more chapters, how he continues to be the servant of all, ultimately taking up his cross to Mount Calvary to die in your place, to die in my place. And meanwhile, his disciples are getting into fights along the way concerning who is the greatest among them. What a mess they are. What a mess we are. We may not verbalize envy, but don't you experience envy and coveting? And that's, why I believe, why the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, climaxes with you shall not covet, because, of course, we covet every day. Sinners in need of the Savior. And later, while the physical body of Christ was taking a literal beating, the disciple, Peter, who had boasted in himself, right? He said, I will never deny you, Jesus. I will never deny you. This same disciple who had been worshiping Christ on the mountaintop is now sitting in the courtyard below the area where the flogging and the body blows right after Jesus told the high priest that he was indeed the Son of God was happening. And he can hear it. He's down there. <clears throat> this, 
and the flogs keep coming, and, and he still, maybe because of out of fear of man, fear of even a servant girl, he denies Jesus three times. And so we see that in verse 67 that was read. The servant girl, when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You are also with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know, understand what you're talking about. This is a man who had been boasting in himself. And now, at the same time, the body of Christ, the literal body of Christ is being beat up. The reason why I think the analogy is that it really saddens the heart of God when we criticize fellow Christians, we gossip. It's like spitting on the body of Christ. We see them spitting one floor above where Peter's sitting on the body of Jesus, on the body of Christ. We see them beating on the body of Christ. That's what we do when we envy and we lie and we gossip concerning fellow Christians in the body of Christ, the spiritual body of Christ. So the question, what, what scene shows more of God's glory? The transfigured body of Christ on that mountaintop? Or is it the physically suffering body of Christ one floor above where Peter is warming himself at that fire? The first was the fiery image of, of Christ being transfigured. The second is Christ physically suffering, even before he goes to the cross. The answer, it's kind of a trick question, is both are equally glorious. Peter didn't know it yet. He wanted Jesus and all the disciples to have crowns without the cross, but he didn't know that the Mount of Transfiguration, yes, was a glorious uh, reflection of the Lord, but the cross of Jesus Christ was going to be equally glorious, reflecting the heart of God for you and for me. The transfigured body of Christ shows us he is the Son of God, and the suffering body of Christ shows us he is also the Son of Man. Suffering hell in our place. But why are people beating him and making him suffer? Was it for anything he did? No, it was for who he claimed to be. The son of God who became the son of man so that sons of men could become sons of God even though we don't deserve it. So let's listen to him. What does he say? Remember chapter 9, verse 35. Whoever wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Are you listening to him? How are you serving him here in the body of Christ locally in Dover, in Delaware? Guaranteed, if you don't get along with him and gaze on his glory on a regular basis as both the Son of God and the Son of Man, then it's practically guaranteed that you will not serve his body. At least you won't serve it fruitfully. That's why we must ask, as his body, are we glorying 
in Christ alone. Stop your busyness so you can see the fiery glory of Christ. Stop glorying in yourself, which beats up the body of Christ. Instead, listen to him. And thirdly and lastly, back to our opening verse from Galatians 6.14, solely glory in the cross and resurrection of Christ. Galatians 1 had referred to the resurrection of Christ. Galatians 6 climaxes where? At the cross of Christ again. Far be it. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the mountaintop, what was the topic of the conversation between Moses and Elijah and Jesus? I told you Luke 9, verse 31 gives us the answer. And it was that the Messiah must die and be risen from the dead at Jerusalem. Peter and James and John, all the disciples were thinking, they were probably talking about how he can overthrow the Roman government. After all, isn't that what happened with Moses when Pharaoh and the Egyptian government let God's people go? There was a political overthrowing in that sense, so I'm sure that's what they were thinking. They weren't thinking about a cross. It was a glorious experience on the mountaintop. Jesus had all the power to avoid a crucifixion. So yes, it can be a glorious experience at the Grand Canyon or on a mountaintop, but both are pointing to a Savior uh, where his greater glory, I would believe, is the cross-centered suffering of the body of Christ and the resurrection of the body of Christ. And if you are part of the body of Christ, member of this church, you signed up for suffering. There will be suffering. There is the cross before the crown. Before the crowning victory of the resurrection, after you die, and praise God, you know where you're going when you die, if you are in Christ. But before the crowning victory of resurrection, there's the decisive victory of the cross. And before that, there was the first Christmas when the Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of men could become sons of God. And the crucifixion then leads to the crowning resurrection. Keith Getty has captured it in this song, in Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. So when you read in like Gospel John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only forgot, begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What are you seeing? Are you seeing the glory on the mountaintop or the glory on the cross? And the answer is both. Grace and truth. May we in the spiritual body of Christ, may grace Dover be all about grace, yes, and truth. You can't have truth without grace or grace without truth and be distinctively different from the broken world around you.
Not only Keith Getty, but C.S. Lewis has captured this too in The Weight of Glory. He said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he or she cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So what is your thought life about? Are you satisfied with just making mud pies in a slum? Are you too easily satisfied with mere glimpsing at the Lord on the first day of the week, today, Sunday? Or could you be gazing at his glory as both the Son of God and the Son of Man from Genesis to Revelation as you open up the Word of God all week long, the light of his Word, illuminating your life with his glory? When the risen Christ told his discouraged disciples on the road to Emmaus that all of the scriptures, the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah and company, all of the scriptures were about who? Him. Me, the risen Lord, the crucified and risen Lord. What happened when he told them this on that road to Emmaus? We're told in Luke 24, their hearts burned within them. I hate heartburn, but, <laughs> but that's a good heartburn, isn't it? Their hearts burn within them. The glorious Christ had become their passion that the Messiah must suffer before being re resurrected. So should we share in Christ's crown without sharing in his passion, his suffering? Let it be said clearly, beloved, there is no glory without Christ's cross and resurrection. And there is no gospel without Christ's cross and Christ's resurrection. As Isaac Watts penned way back in 1707, inspired by this glorious Christ, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gained I count but loss and poor contempt in all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ere such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature, including Grand Canyons, mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, Complete it with me, demands my soul, my life, my all. And so, Lord, we don't want to take this lightly, although we're thankful that even though we're a mess like Peter and all the other disciples, you're still working in us. We are a little different from when we were outside of Christ. And as your Holy Spirit came to dwell in our bodies when we were converted in Christ, we know that um, sometimes it feels like we take one step forward and then two steps backward. But then the next week, maybe this is one of those weeks, two steps forward and just one step back. May you be glorified, Lord, as your power is perfected in our weakness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.